Vodka. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and Happy New Year. Happy 2014. Welcome to the first Vodka O'Clock podcast of the year. And today my special guest is returning guest, Eric yeah, Christon. returning guest. Hello. Happy New Year. Hey. Oh, very exciting. I'm number one. You are. One, You're always number one. That's how I'm going out. Number one. Giant uh, number one fingers. That's awesome. I'll have to get you like an engraved martini glass or something. I like that. <laughs> so, um... It's been a really awesome year for you. You've made some uh, comic book changes in how uh, how you're working and who you're working with and all sorts of stuff. So we are going to dive into, like, everything, I hope. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's um, an interesting year. Just um, I feel like I did a lot of writing and, and making, but not a lot of releasing. So oh, I, yeah. Definitely, I have like, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, I guess, happening. That was that was my year as well. Yeah. Um, so we might have some minor spoilers, but um, you know nothing that'll wreck any of the stories for you. Um, and you know, hey, it's an explicit podcast, so I tend to swear a lot. Shit. Yeah. Shit. God damn it. Just <laughs> um, <laughs> one hour. Fuck. Okay, yeah, kind of. Some of them turn into that. Well. I'm I'm not hungover or anything. I did not drink last night, so it's kind of I'm sure very shocking for most people. <laughs> Well, I will say I am a little hungover, so I've got I've got a I've got it for you as well. Okay, you've got enough to go. Doing it for both of us. All right, that works because I I don't need any more headaches. I'm fine. Um, so uh, I guess last time you were on was I don't I'd have to go back and look now. Was Phil on at the same time? Um, technically yes. I mean, I think you and I talked just the two of us. And then okay. after that, we did a signing at Wild Pig where you talked with Phil and me very briefly. That's true. Was, I That's guess it was true. almost, was it a year ago? It was near the... It was about a year yeah. ago. Um, yeah, because Phil Sloan was your artist on Dead Horse. He's still the artist on the, the current volume as well. Mm-hmm. And I loved the book. I don't even remember. I guess I must have met you guys at a show or something. And... Uh, uh, Maybe you know what it is. I think um, did you you must have done something with two and five ink or something. Yeah. Came out. I probably contacted you along with you know anybody that would possibly read the book. And I loved it. Yeah, you were very so, very very kind to us. And you got the first uh, yeah you got the first vodka clock award. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. <laughs> Such as it was. Yeah, we did very well. Thank you. Um, so it's, uh, so Phil Sloan and you also have, um, David Halverson, Halverson. so who does phenomenal colors, but he's a fantastic artist in his own right, which you're working on, um, the other. Yeah. I mean, I've just been really lucky with, um, with the artists that I've been able to work with, like David Halverson and, and Claire Connolly are both people that whose work I liked and admired and then ended up working with. And David was just, he has this awesome webcomic called Tales of Armstrong, which I don't know if you've seen, um, yes. but it's all free and it's up, you know, talesofarmstrong.com. Somebody tweeted about it. I don't remember exactly where it came from. And I just contacted him, you know, more as a fan and just said that, you know, I really liked his work and he ended up, you know, reading some of the Dead Horse. Cause I think at that time, Dead Horse went through a bunch of different sort of versions as far as how we presented it. And it had been a webcomic. And I think he read 
you know, the first first issue or two. And then it was, you know, was pretty um, cool with it and told me he liked it. And we just sort of kept in touch, you know, for the next year or so. And I don't know if when I sent it to you, I think by the time I sent it to you, the main core team with Halverson and, and Phil was already in place. But before that, Phil had actually done all the coloring himself. So there's actually old versions of Dead Horse where Phil colored everything. Um, but we were getting to the point where we wanted to do sort of like a month-to-month thing. And with all the pencils and inks and, and colors, it wasn't something that Phil wanted to do, and we needed a colorist. So, you know, I just took a chance and asked him if he'd be into it, and he was, and that's sort of how we got him. Yeah, because I, I definitely think that it was uh, – I remember seeing Halverson's name on it by the time I looked at mm-hmm. it. Um but it's just I love the presentation of the book, and I you did the letters, right? Yeah, yeah, I do all the the lettering and and some of like the design, like the the interior pages and and all that stuff. And I'll- because that's that stood out for me because the book does have um, like really catching fonts, like they work really well, and like when you have. You know, like a crash or, you know, someone just a sound effect in the background or whatever. I, I was going to ask you specifically if that's if you do that or if Phil pencils that in. Both. What I goes mean, on? it depends. I mean, there's certain sound effects that Phil will ink in or pencil in. Um, and there's some stuff that I do uh, with, um, you know, with Illustrator. So it depends more so because like when I, we first started doing it, it came the whole me lettering thing also was a financial consideration just because I couldn't pay a letterer to do it. So it was like, you know what, I'm just going to learn how to do this. And I had not, I had never done it before, but there's a ton of sort of resources. And I, I feel like I've definitely gotten a lot better having done this six issues. So at this point I'm sort of comfortable doing most of the sound effects. Um, But you can tell sort of the ones that feel sort of hand drawn. They're always going to look better than what, I, than what I did, but uh, I've gotten to the point now where I could like mask stuff and put, you know, artwork in front of the the word balloons and all that kind of stuff. So I actually like lettering a lot, you know. Well, I I think it's it's New Year's Day, isn't it? A tradition for one of the companies to do a big sale. Yes, Comic Craft. It started yesterday, and I don't know. It's yes, yeah, like their annual New Year's. I bought myself three fonts. Like I guess I look forward to that thing every every year. But if if you're you know if someone's listening and they're they're lettering themselves or thinking about making a comic, today is the day to go to go to that site. And it's basically I think twenty fourteen is what you're going to pay per font. But you can get fonts that are you know one hundred fifty dollars or the font we use for Dead Horse actually is their Comic Crazy font. I think that's three hundred twenty five dollars. You know on any other day. Wow. Yeah, it's great. And that that site, they have um they have a lot of really good tutorials and they have a book which I definitely recommend people pick up, which is uh comic book lettering the comic craft way and you can get it for like 6 or 7 dollars on Amazon. That helped a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, um Plus it's like I don't... a write like I'm I'm a, like a notorious rewriter. You know, I'll rewrite to the to the bitter end on everything that I do. Oh, yeah, I, I can understand. I can't it. sort of ever make my mind up about things. So the fact that I'm lettering, you know, when I get the art back in, you know, I'll rewrite entire, you know, pieces of dialogues or, or whatever, or change sort of the beat. Because once you have the art, now that the story is 
is a different story. You know, it's not it's not the script you you handed out. It's become something else between two people. So having that sort of last step to go in there and really fine tune the presentation and, and how the story is told is I would never give it up. You know, I mean, I'm, there's letters that are that are better than me, but I don't know if I would ever want to not letter the book. I've heard a lot of writers say that and that it's it's always the same story. Like, well, I did it for, you know, to, to save a, a certain amount of money mm-hmm. because if um, but you actually know what you're doing as far as graphic art goes. So <laughs> graphic design and um, yeah, thank you. It's a. Uh, it's like I don't I think if I were to letter anything, it would be as bare bones as possible. It would be a miracle if something fit into a balloon. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I think you, you sell yourself a little bit short, but with some of this stuff like you have to like for me, like having Illustrator makes it very easy. I don't know what other programs people use to do that. Um, but again, with with that Common Craft site with their I think it's balloontails.net. One of those sites, they literally, like anything that you can think of you want to do, they have sort of step-by-step ways to do it and accomplish it. Um, so it's worth, you know, sort of trying. But I understand what you mean. Like, especially if you don't have the right software, it's probably a nightmare. Right, yeah. Because I typically use GIMP for photo work mm-hmm. um, because it's it does what I need it to do. Like, I don't, I don't need to get... But, you know, I'm not a photo retoucher. Like, I'll recolor some things and I'll, um, you know, blur some stuff out. Like, I can do very basic stuff, and that's always been enough. So, um, but lettering sounds like it would be a logical step for a writer to learn how to do. Yeah, and plus, I think, I don't remember who it's, someone had Twitter or something had pointed out, like, it really does make you appreciate the artwork more because you're, you know, when you're, viewing artwork zoomed at, you know, 600%, you really, you know, appreciate all the work and everything that's going into it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, not that not that you didn't appreciate it anyway, but it's definitely from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, you're really sort of like in the middle of it. And, and it de- definitely helps to like balance out, you know, how that story is told because, you know, again, the artwork is going to change things and bring new things to the table. And if you have a letterer, then if you're you know, you're paying them, then, you know, you have to be sort of, you know, you can't see something and then just keep sending them changes, you know? So it's, it's also another. And, it, and if there's a typo, it is all your fucking right, fault. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's always your fault. And there's always a typo and something is always terribly wrong. And it's always your fault as the writer. Right. Is that what works, right? Right. Um, yeah. So you're just screwed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unless it goes so, well and then it's night, you know, then you have nothing to do with it. Right, because I know you're out there to like try and nab the big um, Eisner for lettering. Oh I yeah, know that's you. totally. That's all about. <laughs> oh my goodness. So let's catch up on Dead Horse and uh, where we are. Uh, the first volume introduced the core characters and had shown the readers uh, like the beginnings of this mysterious abandoned city, mm-hmm. Dead Horse, Alaska. Right. Yes. It was Okay, so quickly recapping the highlights of the first volume, there's uh, a girl named Elise who runs away from home. She meets William Pike, who is chased out of his apartment by crazy neighbors with an army of birds. Mm -hmm. And um, then the bus that they're on crashes. Yeah, the Sasquatch. 
Right. So they come across this uh, other guy named Edgar, and then, yeah, and so they're chased by the hitman called Sasquatch, who is just ridiculous and funny. Um, so that's sort of like a quick idea of what happened in volume one. And it was just full of such bizarre, crazy, almost B movie things like, like the birds attacking and, you know, Sasquatch himself and, um, mysteries, very Maltese Falcon feeling mystery of, you know, that Pike's learning about his father and he's learning about congressional involvement and things about this town that nobody talks about. And, um, how how big is this story? Um, it's pretty big. I mean, the way I tried to to you know craft the thing was you know sort of on the surface it's sort of this ridiculous you know absurd thing with silly dudes and, and uh, plastic ape masks and stuff. But sort of underneath it, yeah, there there there's a lot of different sort of layers um, of a story. There's sort of this master thing that's underneath that within the first volume too. There's a lot of stuff that that was sort of planted that hopefully will you know pay off in in the second volume um but it gets pretty crazy i mean it by the end i mean if i have i've had the end you know the since the beginning and if i could sort of pull it off um the way i want to you know i think it's i think it's going to be pretty pretty big so how many issues are you are you thinking it might my plan, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, as I sort of write these things, new new opportunities and, and things present themselves, and maybe it'll go in a little bit of a different direction than um, that I intended. But right now, it, the plan is to sort of end it with the book that's happening now. So it'll be 12 chapters altogether. Um, so by the end of this one, it'll be sort of done, and then we'll we'll collect both books into one sort of volume. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always had sort of a definitive ending, and it's not – was never sort of uh, designed to be sort of an ongoing thing. I mean, there's definitely characters and things that could get, you know, new stories told out of it. Um, but sort of with the way that it's going to wrap up, it you know, it may not be possible. But I, I okay. like, you know, things that sort of don't go on forever, too. I like things with, you know, solid stories that, that have, you know – Reach a point and then end and then, you know. Yeah, that's how I am, too. I really am a fan of a miniseries. Yeah, me too. Definitely. I think there's like with anything, even when it's a really good uh, TV show or something, there there always is like a point with me where I hit like a fatigue where it just keeps going on. And I've invested so much time. I don't want to stop. But I also want to experience new new things and new stories. In the same exact way. Yeah. And from a writing perspective, too, I mean, I. I love it and I want it to to be, you know, as perfect as it can be, but I also want to finish it because there's a lot of other stuff that I want to do. That's yeah, that's a good point too because I've heard um actors say the same thing that you know, yes, they appreciate a a show that runs for 5 years or 7 years or, or longer, mm-hmm. but it's not that they don't love their character anymore, they're just kind of bored and they need they need to just work on on things to get that creativity out there right yeah that, and nothing could be worse than sort of getting to the point and then you're bored yeah you know with the story or what you're doing or you just i never want to be just running through through the through the motions yeah um 
I think it's good to that you know from a writing perspective that you you had your ending already in mind. Do you work backwards like that? Do you? Do you start? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's it's always different depending on what I'm doing. In this case, um, I got the ending pretty quickly, um, and I did in a way I guess work backward backward from there. I mean, there were certain major milestones or beats that I knew that I had to hit um, and were sort of designed, but the things in between definitely changed. There was things that I didn't plan on happening that happened. You know, Edgar, one of the characters that we meet in the first book, he was just a guy that, that was going to be at the bus station. And you were never going to see him after that. Um, but but I, it really grew. Yeah, and yeah. Then he just grew, and then I decided to keep him, and then all, all of his things that are going to be developed further, I started, you know, planting in the story. And, and things like that sort of, you know, just kind of naturally happen. And that sort of keeps it from getting boring, too. You know, if you know everything, then there's nothing to surprise you, so you know, it makes sort of putting it together a little bit, you know, less interesting as a creator. So so I want to ask a spoilery question here. Oh, the end? Because... Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to ask the end. No, well, I don't think it's about the end. But the, there's, okay, the senator, there's a senator that goes out into the congressional floor and, and kills himself right there. Yes. Where the hell is Homeland Security when this is going on? Where is... Where's the Secret Service? It's like it's such a this wild yeah. this wild moment because you see this sort of thing on on old movies and and whatever where uh, just every you know everything was different or if somebody was brainwashed like the naked gun you know like I'm just gonna brainwash this person to carry a gun into this you know arena and um it, I just it had this crazy feeling to it but um I know that whatever the mystery is that's starting to reveal itself around, you know, the, the building of this city that costs millions of dollars that nobody's using, that there's, there's something. Yes. Within the, this won't spoil anything, but you're going to, you, the Senator's role is, is much bigger um, to the whole thing. I mean, we see him sort of as a little boy in the first book, you know, at the, town where Pike's dad, you know, goes missing or whatever happens to him. And then by the second issue, and I, I've already sent you the first issue of the new story arc, but we actually experience um, the Senator's funeral and we're going to learn a little bit more about, about him and about his dad. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's suicide. And that was like, there was that, that Bud Dwyer suicide. Are you familiar with that? I think you told me about yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's that was rough. But a lot of that, you know, had seeing that and that whole thing definitely sort of seeped into my my consciousness as far as when that that whole thing came out with the hand puppet and the right the televised suicide. It's 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 crazy, and that's I try to do that too with this book. Is it it's a sort of absurdist and it's a comedy, um, but there's like to me some of the stuff is just very dark. Well, it's we live in a you know a time that you know back in the eighties anyway that the movies about the future showed us what exactly what we were going to become, which was this um, reality TV watching addicted culture, and you know seeing it, you know like even the Hunger Games and stuff like that has those elements to it as well, um, Running Man and. Mm-hmm. Like all those, all these movies have always had that that particular plot point about them that we we like to watch train wrecks. Yeah, that's, you know, that's... and 
definitely. At least in this in America, anyway. Yeah. So when you know the idea that somebody wants to commit suicide in such a way, and they're already a public figure, it's like you know that might be lucky, l- likely that somebody is is disturbed enough to just do that in front of camera crews. And and there's something too, and it's this is going to sound weird, but there's something really great about that image of a gun to it. I know it's, <laughs> I'm saying this, I'm like... It sounds yeah. terrible, but... Yeah, um, I, you know what it is? I think, in like, the, there's that, um, there's a comic 8-Ball, uh, this Dan Klaus comic, and one of the covers uh, was this dude with a, a gun to his head, and for some reason that, that image has always stuck with me. And there's another comic, which I didn't send you just because it's being developed now, uh, that I'm doing with Will Perkins called... Uh, Gregory suicide again. Like people are going to be like, "What's going on? What's going on with this well, gruesome guy?" But uh, well, you know, I do love me some Will Perkins in that in that one too. Oh, okay, okay. But Will, yeah, Will's great. So I trust you. Yeah, that trust, one. That I, one's uh, hopefully will be uh, completed by uh, by March of next year. Okay, I um, yeah, because I mean, when we look back at at 2013 and comics news um that dc comics harley quinn contest of drawing her trying to commit suicide in a variety of different ways and i don't care how people Mm -hmm. want to defend it it was just stupid and awful and insensitive um but here what you're doing is you're taking a character and it's actually part of your character's story and it's you know it's an element to it it's not it's not just some gratuitous thing even though we live in a very gratuitous culture where people will stop and watch something like that right no definitely and there's you know it's intentional because there's just you know there's a lot of elements of of birth and death and creation and making things and you know destroying things and sort of seeing someone destroy their own life um sort of fit into that right um and uh is the plan for Dead Horse that that all of the issues for this volume will be out this year? No, I mean it, it would be great, but realistically, the plan is. I like that you said this year, and I'm like, well, you mean next year? No, it's 2004. No, <laughs> I wait. No, the plan is for three issues. Um, the second one is being uh, the artwork is being done now, um, but it does take a long time, and then with with um, getting it colored and everything, so. If we can get four out this year, that would be great. But the plan is sort of to do three. The first book actually took us three years to do. Um, it's just that we had again, you know, done it as a black and white web comic, and then we had done it three issues with Phil coloring it. And then when we decided to get David and re-release it, we had three already ready and done by the time we re-released the first one, newly colored. So we were able to sort of do a month to month, and we put out six issues in 2012. But the, the only reason we were able to do that is just because we had been sitting on sort of the, the inks, at least for the first three, um, since like 2010, we started okay. 2009, something like that. I know um, Dead Horse Comic has its own Twitter account, so people can follow that and keep up to date with that. Yep, And that's always, it's, I think you. we talked about this last time, it's, it's like I have all okay. these, every time I do a comic, I have like another Twitter account, and then I end up like, managing one and then retweeting my like i just feel so dumb it's like <laughs> what am i yeah. doing like i have all these things i'm like i better send this out of the twitter you better update that facebook 
page for your comic and then share it on your personal. And it's like, you know what? I wish that I was just like, I had one account. That was it. Right. And if it, if it was easy enough, you know, where, where people could see, um, like on Facebook, because it's, it's definitely easier to run a page, you know, the fan page thing, but then Facebook wants you to pay. Yeah. And that's <laughs> so that also, yeah, that, that drives me crazy too. Cause with, with Facebook for me, like running the, the dead horse page, I've paid for, to promote posts, I've yeah. gotten nothing out of it. I mean, maybe nothing. the post yeah. isn't correct or it's not worded right or I'm not taking advantage of certain things, but I've seen no sort of return on any kind of investment that I've done with Facebook posts. What was really funny because I tried it with one post just as an experiment to see what would happen, mm-hmm. and it was a post um, linking back to one of my um, blog posts or something mm-hmm. back on my website. So they took my $5 to promote the post and then rejected me. <laughs> Didn't say why, but they always reject everything that's, you know, if there's a, if there's a naughty image they don't like. So on that was, website. was the content of the, of the. Yeah. So I don't even know specifically why it was just like, and I'm like, there's no, there's no way to get a clear answer. They're, they're just, you know, there's so many different, different reasons. Somebody, I, I can't even remember, but so, other people have told me that, that their rejections were so laughable, the reasons that they got back. I'm like, this makes no sense because they don't give you the $5 back. Like, we're rejecting you. We're not going to promote this. And they keep no, your money? They, they keep your $5. Oh, that's horrible. That doesn't seem right at all. You should at least get, you know, you're paying for a service that you didn't get. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so if you're not promoting it and you're telling me, and then it started getting really annoying with, like, how many more engagements – there were since attempting to promote it, basically since promoting it. And, it, you know, I got like 65 extra, you know, views mm-hmm. or something. And I'm like, well, you know, I understand that they need to make money, but I just don't like the business model that they're using because it doesn't make any sense. Right. And, and I can understand sort of where they're coming from because, you know, nobody's been able to figure out how to monetize any of this nonsense. You know, it's like, Right. There's there's really no and now like I think it was Wired or somebody had an article about just the inherent flaws within the whole liking system on Facebook that they built this thing. And now there's just so many people liking so many things and sharing so many things mm-hmm. that it's all noise. I mean, none of it is having really any effect. Right. And um, well, a lot of things that people don't notice, I mean, obviously, if you're just liking and sharing stuff from your from your friends and commenting on your friends stuff that's the intention mm-hmm. but then whenever i see those memes like oh this little girl with this degenerative disease wants 1 million likes can we get that for her and then you do it and what happens is then they sell that profile or page uh-huh. and change everything in it so they, you know, whoever owns it can be like, you know, I'm selling a page with 1 million likes and then a business or whomever can buy it uh-huh. and automatically have all of those followers. That's the problem. There's just, there's just awful people. It's just full of awful people. So you can never yeah. have nice things. Just, yeah, we can't have nice things. The, inter- the internet. And the other thing, like just with Facebook in general, like uh, there's plenty of comic pages or things or music or whatever that I've liked. I just never see that stuff. And then you have to explain to people they have to do some kind of weird update setting. Yeah, you have to go in the settings. What, is, and show. what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, Maybe it's like you're now, you're now, 
Yeah, you're now asking your fans to do more work. Right. and and Twitter, there, Twitter, you can you know obviously get lost in the noise, like you're saying. So it's it's hard because uh, the advice that I've seen from authors is they run one account, like you're saying, um, and that you have to have a balance of interacting as like a regular personal person and uh, like a. Uh, just acting like a regular human being and not just yeah it can't be a, a, straight up promotion. not just yeah not just a promotion robot that's like read my book right. you know eight times a day read my book and by the way read my oh and fund my Kickstarter you know like you have to be engaging in other ways other than asking people for their money right. <laughs> and, no that's, and that's like definitely a hard balance and then there's so many times where I'm just like you know what I'm just gonna not do it at all you know I'm just gonna have, use a Twitter account as a Twitter account I'm not gonna push, you know, promote my own stuff. And then the other, it's like, what do you, you know, you have to, because no one else is going to. And then it's like, well, why am I having this conversation with myself? I have to get out of the house. Yeah. Need to walk away. But it's tough. Um, it's like, you know, cause then, and I do, and I, you know, I'm constantly pushing stuff, but it, you know, people are nice and it gets retweeted once in a while, but I don't know if I'm seeing any, you know, is it making any kind of difference? Maybe not. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's just, tough. I don't know. You can hope so. Um, but the, yeah, the Kickstarter fatigue gets to me. I'm like you, if all you're going to do is, is tweet about your Kickstarter, I'm going to unfollow you till your campaign is over. Um, I've, I've done that several times. Um, the whole thing is just silly and it is, I mean, and then sometimes you just, you back up and you just look and you're like, wow, it's just, it's nothing but people just talking about themselves and it's, it's, it just doesn't feel like. You know, any real conversations are taking place. And then when they do, it's not the right platform for it anyway. So it's just sort of weird. You don't, nobody knows if you have like more than two people in a Twitter conversation. It becomes a chat room. And then nobody knows who's responding to what. It's just nuts. It is. It is it is tougher. I got a little nervous when my mom told me this morning. She said, one of my friends told me I should be on Twitter. I was just <laughs> like, oh, God, my head's going to explode. She's like, I, I told them no, absolutely uh. not. The but the, thinking about Kickstarter though, have you had have you ever considered going that route for any of the projects um, so far? I've certainly considered it. Phil definitely wants to do it. Um, I just definitely feel that I have I have not built up. I mean, I've only been doing this for uh, three years, I guess now. I just don't have an. I, in my opinion, I don't have an audience. You know, I don't think I have enough core fans. Um, you know that would support it. So I definitely have like, oh, it would just be a disaster. So my plan is sort of to keep working and keep getting better. And eventually by the time the second book's done, hopefully at that point we'll have some kind of strong enough base where we could do sort of a Kickstarter. Okay. But that's my plan. I mean, who knows? It may happen. I'm sure with the way I do things, I'll wait until that there's so much, so many Kickstarters going on that market is completely useless and it would be the worst possible time to do a Kickstarter. And that's when I'll be like, all right, we're in. Yeah, we were talking about how we're so late to the game with everything. Like we're just watching Breaking Bad now. Yeah. No, but with, like for like with the new book, like right now we're doing pre-orders for, you know, if you read Dead Horse book one and you like it. Pre-orders are now open on the new book. We've actually made it. It's done. It's going to go to the printer. 
Um, it's not called Kickstarter, but we could call it Kickstarter. You know, if you pledge, you know, three ninety nine for the issue, I will send it to you when it gets printed. You know, and that's guaranteed. Um, so in that sense, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm probably too old school, maybe. You know, there's something with I, I have no problem with people doing Kickstarters, but I don't know. I always sort of feel like I have to just do it alone in the woods somewhere and then come out and and, and show it off. Okay. <laughs> um, let's not uh, <laughs> not forget. Yeah, that's like my favorite quote I think I've ever said that I have to go in the woods and do it alone and then come out and show it off because out of context. Going to be quoted everywhere. <laughs> um, so, so okay, so that covers uh, Dead Horse, but you've also got Planet Planet Gigantic, which has been ongoing for a while, and then you've got a couple other shorter projects. Yeah, yeah, the Planet Gigantic. Um, when did we do that? Two two thousand and twelve, I guess. Too in October of two thousand and twelve, David Halverson is the colorist on Dead Horse. And I put together uh, Planet Gigantic Pitch, and we made like a 13-page zero issue that we sort of put online for free, and we sort of shopped it around to publishers. And then last year, now I can say last year, we signed with Action Lab. So that is actually, we're working on the first arc now, and we're going to finish that up. And then it's going to be released. I don't have any actual dates, but it's summer of 2014, which I think it'll be the first book that I have in previews, which is super exciting for me. And that, Very exciting. That's maybe March, I guess. I'm, it's, what, three months ahead or so somewhere around March. I'll definitely be tweeting about it and, and being like, why am I doing this? But, yeah, asking for people to pre-order it. But, yeah, that that's that. I love that. That, uh, that book is a lot of fun. And that's a much different sort of vibe than Dead Horse. And for me, it's a relief. You know, Dead Horse is this, you know, it's, it's a mystery, so there's lots of, Every sort of element sort of feeds into it. It's this big sort of elaborate house of cards, um, whereas Planet Gigantic, I can just completely have fun and put, you know, giant robots and, and insect monsters and just have a lot of fun. That's like everything that I ever liked, you know, as a kid. It was sort of like the comic I would, would have wanted to to read. Well, the so the issue that I took a look at had two stories inside that it, it gave me that um... – old school like savage tales type magazine yeah i wanted definitely to do i every issue is going to have um sort of a backup story so there's sort of a 20 page main story and then um you know six to eight page sort of self-contained backup story just from liking like those old um the way like dr strange was was introduced and strange tales and all that stuff and sort of really giving people you know a full experience. So it's not only the episodic story that you're going to get, but you're also going to get like, you know, something, something sort of self-contained and unique. So I can, cause I kind of like both of those things. You know, I do like ongoing stories that build, um, but I also liked sort of one and done type things and doing those backup stories is awesome because we can be very experimental. You know, the one that you read is, is um, sort of an adventure type tale of this, um, this woman, Liana, who's searching for uh, sort of an artifact. But some of the other ones, there's one about a frog runner, a frog who's got to deliver a message about a war, and there's going to be another one that's, you know, maybe completely silent. And and so we're basically, or I'm basically free to sort of tell whatever tale I want from this planet. Um, and so it's just a lot of even more freedom, you know. 
So is Halverson going to be doing all the the art even with the backup story? Yeah, I mean, if if we ever get to the point where we're behind in time or something, then maybe some other artists you may see come in uh, for some of the backup stories. But right now it's it's going to be him throughout the whole thing. Okay, because I, I really dug those two stories together. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely um, like with that book too. I I wanted it to be um, sort of reminiscent of some of the older stuff, but I also it was very important that it's not sort of nostalgia based, and, and I don't want to keep doing things that you know you get a lot of stuff where it's like, hey, you remember that? You remember that? And it's just that thing that you remember. Um, just redone. I, I want it to be something right. new and unique. So sort of take all those elements of things that I liked and sort of transform it into something new. Um, so like the co- cover, like I love the, the way that the cover came out on that one. And I, I would tell you, you can post it. I just don't know what the rules are now since it's with, with Action Lab. But I, oh, they'll let me, they'll let me do anything. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love that cover and it sort of, it looks very much like an old, you know, an old comic cover, but it also, to me, anyway, it looks sort of modern in a way, too. And I didn't want it to look like, to make it look like old wrinkled paper or something. You know, I don't want it to be something it isn't. I want it to be something sort of new and old at the same time. Right. It, um, it's just so funny that uh, very recently I started reading, and I, I only read the first issue. I think only two issues are out, uh, Black Science. Yes, that's awesome. I love that book. And and we'll go on and I'll say whatever. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it was, it's like, uh, you know, I also, like, just watched, because, again, I'm way behind the times and everything. Like, I just watched John Carter. Okay, I haven't seen uh, that. Um, You know, it was enjoyable. Yeah. I thought that, I thought the uh, alien creatures, all the creature designs were just really phenomenal. Um, You know, I don't know that there was a whole lot of story there, but, um, but it's just, it's funny how it's all of this very classic science fiction is, is being modernized. Everything's very contemporary now, and mm-hmm. uh, people are. You can tell because of how how dialogue is updated, and like the kids that you have. The are they supposed to be twins in your story? Yes. Well, the first well story? I think they're six minutes apart or something. But yeah, they're, okay. They're um, they're to give a little brief intro on that. It's these genetically enhanced kids uh, that are sent into space to sort of explore. Um, whereas now we sort of spend money on rovers and we land them on Mars, and they they you know walk around and gather data and stuff in the future corporations have cloned humans um, and, and gave them sort of, you know, superpowers. Uh, The two kids, one can control electromagnetic energy and and the the girl Valentina can manipulate, you know, gravitational fields. And so they're sent into space and something goes wrong and they land on this crazy planet full of, you know, giant monsters. Right. And the intention is that, you know, they're we're here to collect data, not return. Yeah. Yeah. So they would be sent out and they would just sort of look for mineral deposits on asteroids or just someplace where, you know, the human race, um, if they find like, okay, there's a whole bunch of uh, minerals on this one asteroid block, they're going to send a message back. And then, you know, a big, you know, mining ship or something is going to send send that go that way. So there's the also the intention is too there's going to be there's other they're not the only two that were that were made so maybe we'll see see other ones so what was your feeling then when you took a look at black science because it was um it's a very uh, not you know not to say it's not an original story Uh because it's original but you know people are 
you know, sent off across a particular border and now they're trapped and how are they going to get back and the clock is ticking and they're going to run out of oxygen and whatever. So um, it's, you know, it's something that's that's done a lot, but is always done a, a different sort of way. So I, I, black science was really fun and I really liked the art on that. Yeah, the and art was, is like, totally Totally, totally blanking, like a, like a jerk on who did it. But um, it, I was surprised to see that the art had uh, had uh, like strong colors that were brighter. That's what made it feel more vintage to me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you're like they're not afraid to use pink. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. No, I completely agree. Oh, yeah. The, I love that book. I mean, the first. I got the first two issues of that. And there was, there was definitely some stuff there that's happening that is in line with, you know, with what I'm trying to do with Planet Gigantic. I mean, they're definitely way different books. Um, but I love, it's like everything is, that's right up my alley, that, that story. So I love it. I'm actually, um, yeah, it's Matteo Scalera. I just had to look it up because I've forgotten his name too. Yeah, there we go. Okay, because I was going to try to run it to him. Like, why is my computer taking so long? Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> like, I like that book a lot. And all those kind of things, like within the first issue of that with the giant turtles, and, you know, there's all of that kind of stuff is in Planet Gigantic. Yeah, I mean, like, what is it with, with like, frog monsters, too? Like, because I, I know you, you know, you talk about Will Perkins, and they, on, in the Beware comics, they have uh, frogmen, mm-hmm. and, like, frog, frog creature things are really freaking scary. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's just something to, uh, you know, for me, a lot of that stuff goes back to when I was a kid that being way into the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. yeah I, remember I was that. like it, seeing those all sorts of creatures like that. And there's always frog people and moth men and just sort of something that isn't sort of this reality. That's <laughs> good stuff. Good to see people are keeping that alive. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what's so fun about too with Planet Gigantic is there's no rules at all. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about sort of rationalizing and, and figuring out scientifically like how is this possible or not. You can just sort of have fun. Like in, without spoiling, in one of the future issues of Planet Gigantic, there's these big, huge dudes that that walk and people are in um, in little sh- ships on top of their heads, very much like. Um, Remember the Time Bandits with the the big guy walking in the ocean with the boat on his head? No, I don't know if I ever actually oh, sat really? and watched like, that. That's a great movie. Um, but those kind of like sort of crazy big, really big, like that's sort of the effect I want to have happen when people read Planet Gigantic because it's very very big in all ways. Right. So again, you're you know we were saying how um, to compare the types of writing that you're doing, like how Dead Horse is, is specifically a mystery with like, you, you could connect the strings all over the place. And then Planet Gigantic is very sci-fi and um, nostalgic and, and everything. And then we have chickens. Yeah. What? I mean, like where did chickens come from? Because I, it might, it might surprise a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a story, um, that I had for a long time and I just hadn't been able to find the time or the right artist to sort of tell it. Um, and to give a little brief sort of overview on that, that's sort of set in a world, uh, where animals are running things and humans are what we, what they eat. So it's basically our society now, but it's just flipped, um, 
you know, and animal rights has always been an important thing for me. And, and it was just a way of, I wanted to sort of tell a story with like that without being preachy, without, um, you know, making it reality based. I, I figured flipping it and putting, uh, you know, people's perspective through the animals and seeing humans the way that, you know, that we really don't look at animals, but the way they are treated. Um, and that's a tough book too, just because it's the way I describe it. Again, I talk about how the humans are, are eating for food. You don't really see a lot of that, at least in chickens. Um, and that story is really just about a family that's running a uh, boarding house. It's like a mother, uh, her daughter and their son uh, that are running a boarding house in this small town and how the small town is sort of affected by the slaughterhouse and the poverty and the, and the types of jobs that people have to get there. And it's really about that family and how that family functions, you know, or doesn't function. Um, and sort of Right. The, the relationships are, are very human relationships. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was important to me. You know, I, you know, like the idea that the, you know, applying all that humanity to sort of the animals to hopefully, you know, people will read that and they will sort of maybe look at things a little bit differently or actually look at things that they probably aren't paying attention to. Right. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. And you even have um, like the interspecies relationship going on with like the, yeah. the, the pig man and the chicken girl and, um, yeah, that, that, you know, these are just, these are just typical things that, you know, we go through with, you know, as far as people are concerned with, you know, what color you are and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I wanted for that to, you know, sort of to have um, we got a, a review. We got a very good review from Comic Bastards. And he mentioned in the review that it, sort of that the animals sort of correspond to nationalities. But that wasn't really the intent on, on my my part anyway. Um, but there is sort of a sort of a, a class system, a you know socioeconomic class system with the animals. And when we get into the, the intention of the book is the first one that you've read, the self-contained story called Chickens. But I, there's going to be three others, uh, one based on pigs and one with cows. And the cows are sort of the elite um, uh, factory owners and stuff uh, within the town. So in that sense, it's sort of div- divided in that in that manner. Oh, that's really cool because I. Um... You know, like you said, it is it is very contained. People don't have to worry about it. But I was curious about, you know, what are other, other animals like? Because at least here, you know, we don't eat dogs and cats. So, you know, are what we consider pets going to show up in one of the stories? Uh, no, but that's actually an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. Now, the, yeah, the animals that, um, you know, all the animals obviously are based on animals that we eat. Um, so you have, you know, chickens, uh, pigs and, and cows. Um, but as far as them having pets, too, I hadn't I hadn't really thought that part through. That's an interesting thing. Have you read uh, the John Lewis graphic novel that just came out called March Book One? No, I heard about okay. it. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. I'm halfway through. It's um, and it's about the civil rights movement. And when he was a child growing up, he was in charge of taking care of the chickens. OK. And it, it's just it was so interesting that I had just read chickens like, you know, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And then I was reading this book this week um, because they, he, he grew to, for whatever reason, out on the farm because he was responsible for the chickens. He really revered them above 
everything else. So he didn't become a vegetarian, but he, he couldn't eat the chickens that he cared for. You know, if he went to somebody else's house and they served mm-hmm. it, it had a different effect on him than, you know, raising them and being attached to them. And um, it was, you know, because of the type of person he was and he wanted to be a, a preacher, he was, used to practice sermons to his chickens. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's a really like a lovely moment about how, how we do connect with other things, other things out there on our planet. And yet at the same time, you have to compartmentalize them because, you know, he, you know, he still had to acknowledge that that was food to him. I'm I mean, I'm not completely vegan, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty close. It's, I'm impossible to go to dinner with as now anybody who takes me to dinner has learned (laughs) because um, at, at least, you know, here in New Jersey, it's not easy to find places that even care remotely to learn how to make a few vegetarian dishes. No, yeah, and, I mean, there's so many places that's not even an option um, that there's, you know, I, I hate, hate that when you go. To, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan, um, which is sort of hard to deal with because I realize all the things that I'm getting from, you know, milk and cheeses and stuff is just as the reasons why I'm not eating meat also apply to why I shouldn't be doing these other things. Um, right. But you're right. Like if you go to a, so many restaurants, you just look through the menu and a lot of places don't have anything. Yeah. Some places have nothing or they're like, well, we can make you a salad. Right. I'm like, well, thanks so much that you know how to like chop up lettuce, <laughs> you know, and maybe a tomato if I'm lucky. There's a, it's, there's a, I'm lucky in that I live not far from this town called Red Bank and there's an excellent uh, vegan cafe in town, you know. Oh, that's really good. See, I I passed the Loving Hut on my way home. It's just usually on on like my my commute, as I was telling you earlier, is really really far. So I don't stop there very often. But it's everything's vegan. So like the cheesecake and the the meat, like all of it is fake and made out of uh, wheat protein or soy protein, and it's so amazingly delicious. I love everything there. And yesterday, since I you know, I got to leave a, a little bit early for the holiday. It's like, that's it. I'm stopping at Loving Hut. I'm getting a good sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was so nice. That's because how I was you out should over... end 2013. That's... Yeah. I was out over the weekend and I was grateful just to find a bar that had hummus on the menu. I'm like, <laughs> because hummus is literally like the cheapest thing that you can make. It like costs you a dollar. You serve it with some pita or some veggies and you know, it's, it's really not complicated at all. And it's, it's wonderful. It's delicious. But, you know, it was like 10 degrees outside. Like, I really wasn't in the mood for hummus. But I'm like, what are you going to do? And I was just so grateful that that was on the menu. Because <laughs> <laughs> even soups you have to be careful with. A lot of soups are yeah. based with chicken, oh, chicken stock. Like, you can't tell me that that's a tomato soup or that that's a chicken soup or a cream of potato soup when you're using chicken stock. <laughs> That's very hard. But, you know, you do find ways. You know, it's not it's definitely not impossible. But, you know, you're right. It does get it just gets frustrating. It does. So in a, in a time where, you know, I guess things are adapting and evolving and, you know, like dealing with diets within people's households is getting really crazy. You know, you might have a, a sugar free person and a gluten free person yeah. <laughs> and a vegetarian all under one house. It's like, oh, my God. Cool. But yeah, so that's I guess that's um oh uh, with to get back to chickens, it's available now and people can can buy, download it for free. So um 
definitely encourage anyone that's that's made it this far into and I didn't put them to sleep with my voice by now. Uh, just no. go go and, and pick it up and download it. And uh, you don't have you can put zero dollars in. You don't have to put a credit card or you can put you know money in. Money's OK, too. Right. So that's a, it's a really cool thing that people are doing these days with a sort of like tip jar, pay what you want. Um, I know uh, Jeremy Holt did that with Pulp as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a cool thing. Yeah, I like it. it. I mean, we, I, I we did that, too, with um, the single issues of Dead Horse, too, that with the PDFs. But, um, yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, I just want people to read it. It's a, definitely a very important story to me. Um, so I hope people like it. I worry, though. I, I worry that if people – the way I sort of sell it to um, – and you can probably speak to this – whether or not it's – you know, are people not wanting to read it because they think it's going to be this very dark? I mean, the people that did review it, I heard that back from a lot of people were like, I, this was not the story I thought it was going to be. You know, people sort of go in thinking it's going to be this horrific, you know, slaughterhouse story with humans, and it's that's not it. Right. I think that – um, I could see how that would be expected if you're saying, oh, this is a story and it involves animal rights. But um, but it's I mean, like Black Sad anthropomorphized animals and, you know, but it was detective and crime solving stuff. So, I mean, I think people are if you explain a little bit further about the uh, how the, the characters actually are developed, then I, I think it would be. Um, something maybe more people would read without being so afraid of it. Like you said, you don't yeah, want to exactly. sound preachy, and it's not. It's not a, exactly. you know, it's, they're just kind of mentioned. Like the humans are sort of like way in the background. Like you don't even, you know, it's it's not a main element. And um, how the you know the sister and the brother are getting along, and the poor mom is trying to run everything. And, and Claire, you know, Claire the Connelly's tech, artwork is amazing. It really, really is. And I, but I. It, you know, it's the the characters are relatable, even though they're you know, pigs and chickens and stuff. They're still relatable. How did you find Claire anyway? Did um, you mention that she was another person that I was a fan of her works. She's not far; she doesn't live far from me. Um, and there's a Asbury Park Comic Con that I had been going to since the beginning, and, and so had she and her sister Paige. Um, and so Phil and I would table near them, and we just you know got to be friendly. Uh, we've done some signings and stuff together. And when actually before Chickens, there was an eight or nine page short story that I did on Challenger comics uh, that people can read uh, for free. Uh, now, um, I couldn't find an artist for it. Like originally it was going to be sort of a thing for an anthology. And I approached Phil and I asked Phil if he would do it. He didn't want to do it because he, he just wasn't comfortable with the content of the story. Um, so I went to my blog and just wrote and said, you know, I, I'm doing the story about animals and, you know, if anyone's interested and she responded to it. Um, so that was, it was amazing. Cause she would, for me, that was totally the perfect art style for it. And I had been a fan of her and she was interested in doing it. And I sent her the, the eight page story. She did it. We really liked working together. Um, and so we decided to, to do a, you know, a, a bigger thing. And that's where sort of the chickens and the, the other three part sort of graphic novel thing came from. That's really cool because uh, like you said, it's, um, you know, even when you have a really great relationship with an artist, it's sometimes you still have to look at the style, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, uh, you know, it's, 
I don't know if you read any of uh, Brubaker's noir stuff, but it seems like every book kind of looks exactly the same because that's the stories he's telling. Uh, And, um, but when you're telling stories that are so varied, you, you know, you really want, want somebody who brings out the best in it and makes it better. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're totally, completely right. Yeah. So Claire, um, I, I love that it was very sort of like a, like a sketchy, disturbed, almost like it, it, there's so much anxiety between these characters getting along that it really came out just simply based on how her, her line work is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. That. I mean, getting those kind of pages back was, was amazing. She's a great writer, artist, too, in her own right. I mean, I would if you go to Claire Connolly Comics, I think it is, .com, she's got some awesome, short, a lot of awesome, really beautiful shorts that are almost always silent. There's just a lot of, um, you know, story being told with, with very little words. It's very good. So now that we're um, just kicking off a new year and you have all this amazing work, um, what, where do you get inspired? Like, does science news actually inspire you in the work or, any, like, other? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely things? sort of science stuff. I think most of the – stuff that I, I pull from is probably movies um, uh, more so than comics. And that's not that I, I'm not completely inspired by comics. And there's a, definitely a lot of sort of Fantastic Four uh, that's made its way into sort of where I was coming from with Planet Gigantic. But I just always feel like it's more interesting to take things from outside of comics and bring them in. Um, than it is to take things that are already in comics and bring them back because you're, you're not really you're more likely to just do sort of cliched things than than sort of create new stuff. I heard um, Len Len Wein and Ben Black are um, the, do a podcast, and I'm blanking on the third guy's name. Um, called, on the Nerdist Writers Panel, they do mm-hmm. a comics specific writers panel. And they were talking about definitive story runs and they, you know, they were talking about Daredevil and um, that, that certain characters and certain comic titles definitely do have something, you know, a, a time period when a writer, an artist really defined who, what they were and who they are and that everybody afterwards is definitely pulling from them. So I can see how if you are working on original comic work, and you are a fan of the Fantastic Four, that's, of course, going to get in there, or Nova Corps, or, you know, any Green Lantern. I mean, it's very big space odyssey and stuff. If uh, I can see how that stuff is going to start, you know, bleeding in, like, the uh, the Shia LaBeouf way, <laughs> the completely plagiarizing way. <laughs> I don't know what to make. That whole oh. thing is so crazy. I still don't. I still sort of, part of me thinks that it's just some kind of long con uh, just elaborate for art project that's going on and we're all involved in it. Like when the <laughs> apology itself was taken and then yeah. there's this thing with Alec Baldwin and he wrote that email and it's just like either he's just completely crazy or it is sort of like, you know, this, um, the Joaquin Phoenix sort of whatever that movie, remember that movie that he did? Joaquin Phoenix where he pretended he was a rapper and he made up that whole thing. Oh, and- yeah. Yeah, yeah, where he likes he stayed in character. Yeah, and it, it all like, turned out every- to be you know a hoax. It, it almost feels like it's I don't know. It's just it's crazy. Yeah, 
So there's, yeah, there's, there's ways to, obviously, we're all inspired by something and pay homage to things that we love and appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have to, yeah. And I, again, I just think it's just more interesting to take something from another form, um, that hits you in a certain way. Cause there's, you know, sort of a, whether it's artwork or, you know, music too, you know, that just sort of, and then transforming that into a new medium. I think that sort of process from going from one through you to another is just a much more interesting result. Um, you know, than, than dealing with something that's already been transformed into to comics. Yeah, it's um, it's tricky using music because I know there have been some recent articles about what's allowed uh, to be used inside the comic. Oh, as far yeah, yeah, in terms of song lyrics, but I, I mean, song just lyrics? in sort of how music affects you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, how it affects you is one thing, but it's um, I like it. I start to get lost in all of the advice about that, though. If you are going to try to quote lyrics and things, yeah, um, everything that I've read pretty much says don't. Don't, yeah, exactly. It says yeah, don't, but um, it's, it's a it's a sort of their copyrighted material, and 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 I guess record companies have been known to to go after people. And again, I mean, you're making your own thing, so why you know why bother? If it's like a sort of a snippet here and there from a song you like, I think that's sort of okay. Um, but yeah, you got to be very careful. I think it's um, you know part of where the the line for fair use is like if you're setting your characters to be a certain way and they're listening to the cure mm-hmm. and you, you know, you need, it, it's, it's a critical part. Like one of the, one of the really fun mini series that I read this year is called mixtape. So it's completely about people sharing music with each other and how, you know, life when you used to hang out in record stores was, and, and I was a college radio DJ back then when this was a, when the story is taking place. So I come, you know, I could relate to it. It could be like, yeah, we would, of course we made uh cassette copies of things right. and shared them with our friends. Well, of course we did. And um, music was a big, a big part of that particular scene. So when you're writing a comic specifically about that, it's like, how do I do this without, you know, violating yeah, other people's very, property? You're right. I mean, it's very sort of gray area. And, and I, and I wonder if it just has to be, if, if you're actively, you know, acknowledging the artist, like if you made an unauthorized biography of someone, if that's okay, whereas that taking, actually is okay. Yeah, whereas if you're taking their lyrics and using them out of context without crediting, I don't know. It's it's yeah. very it's very. You're right. The the unauthorized thing because that's actually that's um, like uh, not to plug them because I'm not fond of what they do, but Blue Water Comics that's what they do. They make they take celebrities, so mm-hmm. thirty somebody a public figure. So at that point, they they don't have the same claims as a private person, but they write comics about famous people. Now, do you know? Because I've never read a Blue Water comic, but I'm, I'm familiar with with that company. Do, do, on music books, do they have the lyrics or anything in the book, or is it just a biography and then they never show? I think it's just a biography because I know one of my friends worked on the Lady Gaga one, and I don't know if the lyrics are in there at all. Okay. Yeah. So lyrics are very strange. It's a very strange. I, I feel like, wasn't there just like a, one of those lyric sites was just taken down. Um, you know, those sites you, yeah. you get all the lyrics or for whatever reason they were doing something with Google. Yeah. That's so weird. Cause I mean, they're, they're so like useful, but yet on YouTube you can make videos all the time. Like I see that whenever I go to look for a song on YouTube, it'll be something that says official lyric video. Yeah, I know. 
I'm like, what's official oh, about it, your video? It's a horrible. It's a, it's a wonderful and terrible time that we live in, I guess. <laughs> we want to, everybody wants to love art, but nobody wants to, like, nobody wants to pay for it. Uh, but speaking of the cure there, I will, I will do a little spoiler in the second chapter of Dead Horse. Maybe you see uh, Pike dressed as Robert Smith. It's possible. Oh. There was a lot of cure going on when I was writing. Uh, there's usually a lot of cure going on in my life. Uh, I, I, already I, I already have a crush on Pike. I already have a, you know, fictional nerd crush on, uh, on Pike. So. <laughs> nice. You know, because I haven't been reading Batman these days, so I got to I gotta move my fictional class. Yeah, I definitely do that stuff, too, like as far as putting things that I like in the books. You know, there's uh, Edgar's wearing a David Bowie shirt, and a lot of that stuff I, I just don't even think about that being a problem. Um, and I don't think it – I mean, I can't imagine that would ever be that's, – that's, I always think that that's, if that, something like that ever would have happened, it would probably be a good problem because it would get me a lot more publicity than I have right now. That's true. Yeah, I could I could see that happening. Be like, okay, I suppose I could change it. And then there's also the, you know, the use of parody, which is yeah. a totally different conversation. Um, but speaking of Edgar, what I before I let you go, what I wanted to ask you about was that when you're developing characters, you you know, and I know that this is sort of like it's a high profile problem in like the bigger books uh like you know the dc marvel books and stuff about how female characters are treated and how homosexual characters are treated and bisexual characters are treated and uh, when i you know when i went through and read the new you know the newest issue of dead horse and read planet gigantic and and it's you have such a well-balanced cast but it doesn't it's not shoved in your face like it's just it seems like you just created characters that were personable they've all got their own individual personalities and it's not um it's not like i'm introducing a gay character yeah, no, and that's and i don't know I, I don't think it's a i guess it's a spoiler or whatever but it's not like the, the character of edgar was always gay it was just he was always uh-huh. gay and i had in the second i think it was all the way back in the second issue i had a conversation between elise and edgar um, where he, you know, told her that he was gay or whatever the conversation. And I, it just seemed so dumb. It just didn't feel like it just, I just want the characters to feel that they would in the real world. You know, they're, they're real to me. So I have to present them as real people and it just didn't seem right. And so then he, he was always sort of gay, but I never said it. And you do, I do say it in sort of as in, in a joking way in the issue you read. Um, but even that I sort of struggled with cause I didn't, I didn't, like, I felt like maybe I don't even need to say it at all. Like these, again, like what you were saying, and I'm glad to hear that is I just want them to be sort of regular people the way, you know. Well, it's because the, how they how they banter back and forth mm-hmm. is so funny that it came out uh, exactly the way that you would expect these guys, you know, who they're in danger together and they're new friends and they trust each other. And, you know, it was just the snark is always (laughs) like, it's just so there, especially with Elise. That's why like I, I did that snippet of the panel the other day and put it on Twitter. I was like, you guys need to have this. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. She's, she's, I have the most fun of all of them. I think writing her. And you know, I mean, you, it's like, it doesn't seem like any kind of big deal. Like you're writing a, a female character of significance in that story. And then in planet gigantic, there's, um, 
that you have like this queen who is very significant and you have, you know, one of, one of the kids is, is a girl. And then the second backup story is all about a female character. Mm -hmm. So it just seems, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for that, like that society or the world of planet gigantic is all, um, you know, run by Queens. So I, and that was tough actually too, because I'm so used to writing the word kingdom. And so I just wanted to create, if I'm going to build a world, I was going to create a society um, that is, uh, you know, female based, whereas ours, you know, where you, where you have sort of kingdoms and in this one, it's all Queens. And so just trying to change the language and, and, and doing that and just trying to make it sort of work. You know, and that that was tough, like because there's so many words just built into our language that are sort of just inherently sexist or or what have you, that like just writing things and then changing them, and then queendom just sounded weird, uh, so it ended up being realms. But okay, yeah, it was yeah. definitely sort of a, you know, an intentional thing that that I wanted to do, just because it would be, it's, it's much different than sort of the world um, that we're in now. So if I'm going to make a new one, you know, uh, that's the kind of world that. I kind of wanted to, to play around in. I did love the queen's design, by the way, too. Yeah, she's awesome. She was, he, he, she was, David did an amazing job with that. I was looking at that, and I'm like, oh, dream cosplay right there. <laughs> and she's, yeah, she's a lot of fun to write, too. And there's some stuff that's going to happen with her that's going to make her more interesting. And there's all the sisters of hers that we haven't met yet. So there's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to play around on that planet. That'll be great. We'll get uh, we'll have stuff to look forward to for yeah, sure. So. Uh, so where can people follow along with the eight different Facebooks and Twitters and things? The, you know, the best they, yeah, the best thing to do is um, is to go to my website ericgrissom.com, and from there, on like the right side of my page, there's links to everything. So if you want to read animals, the free animals, and there's a short called Tom and Violence. You can order chickens. Uh, there's a link to the Planet Gigantic website and the Dead Horse comic website. So it's all there. That's sort of the main, you know, my main hub. That's a Tumblr that I have. And basically, I don't talk too much about comics. I basically just post a lot of photos of stuff I that I find that I like or, or inspiring or I think it's cool. And you know, you're not a big fan of Tumblr, right? No, I, I think Tumblr gets really messy and things get lost there. Like, as far as the credit, like credit. Yeah. Cre- yeah. It's just like, I'll see it and it'd be like, you know, 25 straight vertical lines of people's usernames. And I'm like, what in the fuck is this? <laughs> it does definitely get messy in that regard. And I try when I post something new, if I'm the orig- originator of the image, I try to give the credit of the movie or the year or whatever, just so, or if it's a photograph who the photographer was, but you're right. Yeah. You definitely get, because when you share something, at least I think this is the way it's set up. You only see the where you got it from, so you don't know where you don't doesn't immediately show you where they got it from. So you right. almost have to drill down, and you can, but you you have to go sort of from from connection to connection to you get to the source of who who originally posted it. Yeah, I have a, a vodka clock tumbler set up specifically just to only have the links of the episodes, and that's it. Like I'm not using it to propagate other things at all okay. i like it a lot just for like i love sort of imagery and and photography and stuff and it's just great i mean just you can just you follow a lot of cool places like i love abandoned things if that's not obvious oh yeah I love that. but there's great sort of tumblers that are just sort of like old theme parks that are being overrun 
um, you're overgrown and, and like abandoned places in the Soviet Union. There's like really cool uh, images like that. And there's lots of good comic stuff. Like I would definitely recommend maybe you give it a second chance, maybe not as your own blog, but just to sort of look around for inspiration. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I don't mind visiting it because one of my closest friends, uh, Kristen McHugh, she uses Tumblr all the time regularly. So it's like the main reason that I ever go is because she's sharing something and I and I'll want to go see what it is. It's just it's really funny because I actually found a bunch of my own photos on somebody's Tumblr and they're completely not credited and just stolen right off my website. And I, you know, and when I tried to use the form like it says to like contact the person or ask or whatever. Yeah. I was just like, look, you've got like this picture and then I would link to it and it didn't link directly to that post like it goes to the page, but the pages change all the time every time you post something. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know if it was like the links don't even work correctly. Not like um, I suppose there's a way to do it. You probably just have to find the timestamp and have that as part of the URL. Right. And then, and then it would work. But um, but it, like it just got so annoying. I was like, I can't believe there are like a hundred of my pictures on this website that don't link back yeah, to my website at all. I, I can definitely see why that would make you mad. That's yeah. And I know like. Do you know, I don't know if you know the cartoonist Kate Lath, but she is the she's a similar problem. She just kept finding her her web comics like all over Tumblr, and she's like, "Why aren't these redirecting back to my website?" <laughs> now, with your photos, do you are, are you watermarking the photos in any way with your URL? I mean, that sort of takes away yeah. some of the some, some of, of the beauty of the you know the pictures, the artwork, or the you know because it almost you know when you have to watermark your website, it always sort of makes it look a little corny. It does, and so I I was trying to avoid that with with them, and I wasn't going to go back to earlier pictures and do it because there's just like hundreds. But um, but I do that now, and I try to just keep it in a corner or something. And then it's what's funny is I hear uh, comic artists uh, on Twitter that I follow complaining that people are cropping their watermark out and stuff like that. that You're literally going out of your way to not to not credit the person. Yeah, it's like just, you know, we want to know the source, you know. This is good. Yeah. While we were talking, I just hit because I have to type my own website in when I'm telling you what my website was. Sure. Um, but Barbarella is being adapted by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Oh, that's exciting. Awesome. That's I love Barbarella. Crazy. That's awesome news. Not just look at that. Sorry, a little Go bit of news flash. See, that's so you get in an interview and breaking news. I like this. I like this Eric Grissom, uh, you know, co-anchor. Awesome. Well, I, I, you know, I wish you the best. I will be running into you, I'm sure, several times this year. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And, of course, you know, because are you going to maybe – I think you're going to get to come up for Free Comic Book Day, right? Um, I don't know what's going on with Free Comic Book Day. I may be in Delaware. I may be going up to you. I don't know. I haven't haven't committed yet or figured out what I'm doing. We'll figure that out. But, yeah, thank you again, and, um, you know, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you want to, oh, pr- to pre-order, if you need to get Dead Horse, the new Dead Horse in print, and you want it in print, you have to pre-order it, because I'm not going to be doing that big of a print run. If you want it digitally or on Comixology or whatever, then you don't have to do anything. But if you want it, a print copy, please uh, sign up. Okay. That's cool. Good, helpful advice. And while we were talking about links, you can, of course, follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. And AmberOnMass.com has everything else. Um, and the podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher. And I'm I'm really into Pinterest now, but I'm not like, you know, I don't I don't produce much content as it, as it were on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I do I do love the quote memes. I'm very addicted to quote memes right now. See, now I don't know anything about Pinterest. Is that basically is that similar to Tumblr? Are you sharing similar? Images, yeah. Collecting images. Yeah, it's it's all image based, but it um it's basically the presentation is different. Instead of it looking like a blog that scrolls vertically, like it's it's a board as if you had like a virtual cork board. And it was changing all the time. Okay, and that you see exactly who posted the original photo. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, you should because it should. Um, you should be able to uh, when you upload an image mm-hmm. yourself, you can do it from a URL, and because I've done that with some fashion things that I've found, and it'll tell you if other people have also posted this the same image already, which is cool. Um, but if you're repinning somebody else's stuff, then it it notifies that person that they've been repinned that's cool maybe i'll check that out that might be yeah. a good play because i'm always sort of looking for reference photos too and i sort of collect them all and i use Basecamp to share them but maybe pinterest would be a good way to do that okay yeah i i i found uh some really cool like you were saying abandoned places and stuff and i have uh boards that i follow for like tiny cottages because i find them charming <laughs> dream of not being here <laughs> so um pumpkin carvings makeups i mean everything everything that you can imagine um so yes that's my new thing being over there on pictures a little bit um well eric as always it's been a pleasure it's a pleasure thank you thank you again appreciate it you guys have a wonderful new year and uh tune in again to vodka clock thanks thank you